Welcome to a special three-part series on the future of work. In part one, I talk with the founders of Benchon and Talentvine, which have both built platforms that deal with the workforce of the future, which enables businesses, both large and small, to take advantage of the changes that are coming. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life, to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Justin and Tim, thanks for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on this special three-part series on the future of work. Thanks, Thanks, Yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, Justin, you're the founder of Talentvine, which is an online platform that allows employers to hire the best talent from a pool of recruiters. And in just a few short years, you have over 350 top employers on the platform and over 175 recruitment specialists. And Tim, you're the founder of Benchon, uh, which allows organizations to smooth out the demands of the business cycle, maximizing employee productivity. And you're actually a world-first business-only sharing economy platform. So thank you again both for coming on the show. No, sure. absolute pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to to sharing that. It's not all doom and gloom. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's right. The future is bright, people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Justin, can you explain how Talent Vine came about? Yeah, absolutely. So, I had actually never been a recruiter before in my life. So, I came from a background of uh, where I was selling psychometric testing. Uh, so, I was working closely with employees and recruiters on both sides, and I just realized that there was really quite a disconnect, the lack of trust, and uh, I just figure that there had to be a better way to be able to do this. So, you know, I had a look at what was being done and I, uh, you know, us uh, entrepreneurs foolishly seem to think, oh, we can do this better. And uh, so that's how I kind of got started along this journey. And that was about about four years ago. And, um, you know, certainly what I initially wanted to be able to do was just give employees the clarity and, and see who the best recruiters are. I foolishly thought all that they would want to do was work with the cheapest recruiters. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole for a couple of years, failing dismally. And then I realized that it's got to be a much more of a data play. And uh, by using that and using those kind of metrics and performance data can provide a much better way uh, to connect employees to the most suitable recruiters. And that's certainly how uh, the platform has evolved over, over those couple of years to be a bit more of a vendor management platform uh, that gives employees the insights into who the top recruiters are, the work that they're doing, and by doing so, it makes it a lot easier for them to hire great talent. Wonderful. Tim, what prompted you to start Benchon? What's a bit of the story behind that? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a strange story. I was actually uh, an army major and I hurt myself. Well, I hurt my back after Afghanistan. So I decided I needed another profession other than soldiering. So I did a couple of master's degrees and went into defense project management where I sort of got a glimpse of how government engages with industry. And then I jumped out into industry and, and worked as director of strategy and business development for a U.S. aerospace engineering firm. And I think it was because I had had a military background and not an industry background that when I came into industry, I was looking at it from fresh eyes and I saw the problem of peaks and troughs in industry. You know, you've either got too much work on or not enough. And I started to meet so many capable, confident, you know, professionals that were losing their jobs. And I was like, how could anyone have let you go? I mean, you're amazing. And they were like, well, the project ended and they didn't have anything for me. That didn't make sense, right? And then I started then to meet a whole bunch of people who had their own businesses that ended up shutting down. And I was like, but you were doing amazing things. And they said, well, we just had a bit of a lull and there wasn't enough projects on and 
we ran out of money. So none of that sat well with me. And then I saw this, this one situation where a company had to lose three really amazing staff and a massive government contract simply because there was a two month delay in it and they had to let go of the staff, which means they then didn't have the people to win the contract. And uh, it wasn't until someone in industry said to me, well, that's just the way industry is, mate. There's peaks and troughs and we hope to survive long enough through the troughs to get back to the peaks uh, that I just sort of went, well, that doesn't make sense. So I realized that what it came down to was about visibility. You know, the, the companies that needed the talent didn't know where it was and the companies that had the talent didn't know where the contracts were. So that's when we came up with the idea of, of Benchon and which matches up companies that have a demand for specialist support with the companies that have the excess capacity to do it. So yeah, I quit my job and sold my house and put everything on the line and started Benchon. Such a, such an important gap in the market. And you sort of asked the question, why didn't anyone think about this before? About sort of matching the, I guess, the supply and demand issue in, in the, in the talent space. Well, to actually, interestingly enough, a number of big companies had tried it because they recognized the problem. But the problem was that they didn't realize that you needed to be an unbiased third party in order to get a market-wide network because all of their competitors were never going to use their platforms. So it wasn't until someone who came in that had no skin in the game that said, look, I don't care who wins the work. I just want to match it up that it started to work. It's such a good point that you make that. I think just being that agnostic player in this space is just so important. Yeah, 100%. And, and people don't put enough credit in that. They just think, oh, the big companies with the big money will do it. But if you're a consulting company and you're trying to set up a platform to match companies to work, I mean, all of your competitors are not going to use it and all of the companies that they normally work with aren't going to use it, which means you cut three quarters of the market. So therefore, your network effect which is really the benefit of the, the technology platforms that are coming out now, which are the massive network effect of being able to link up everybody. It doesn't work. And that's where the true power is. Yeah. How, how important is having that network element to your platforms, both um, yourself and, and Justin? What emphasis do you place on having that, I guess, interconnectivity and, and network effect? Well, it's, it's everything, right? That's the exciting part about the platform generation that we're in, which is everyone can be linked and everyone's demand can meet everyone else's supply. And it can be done across cultural boundaries, across industry boundaries, across geographical boundaries. I mean, without that, it's simply just a, a software program. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe the same thing. You know, that, that network is, is everything. The, you know, thousands of candidates out there who are being placed in roles that we don't even realize that we exist. And that, you know, we, we were involved in, in the back end and, you know, you've got employers who are able to now, you know, hire talent uh, by being able to piggyback off the time and the effort that other employers have already, you know, put into finding those similar, uh, similar candidates as well. So, and it all comes down to network. And, and that's the beautiful thing as well that I love what I'm, you know, what we're able to build here is that we're providing these ratings and these metrics and everything on these small recruiters that would never have otherwise had the opportunity to work with the likes of Queensland government and Optus and, and clients like that. But, you know, because they're able to do great work out there on their own and, and we can actually show that in a clear digital way, it means that they can, you know, get against the, the big businesses and, and be able to win work that they wouldn't otherwise have had the opportunity to get involved with. So yeah, it all comes down to networks. Thanks both for sharing. It's, um, it's, I guess, so important these days with the internet, you know, everyone can be connected with everyone theoretically, really. And we're only, yeah. you know, you're only a couple of steps away from, from knowing anyone in the world. And I think the, yeah, it, used, it, used, it used to be six degrees of mm. separation. It's not that anymore. It's two or three. Yeah, yeah, it's not not many at all. So it's it's really fascinating to see how the you know the world's evolved in a relatively short amount of time, and and how you both are sort of capitalising on this on this unique opportunity out there. 
Yeah, we're, interesting we're trying. Andy. We're trying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're <listening. laughs> yeah. No, it's great. So, I guess the reason I'm, I've got you both on is there's been a lot of talk recently about the the future of work, and wanted to talk about it from a I guess both from a business and and later on in this three part series, an individual perspective as well. I guess from my end, what I found is the current discussions have really just centered around automation with a lot of fear mongering. Mm. You know how robots are going to take our jobs or how you know we're transforming to a gig-based economy where everyone's going to be a freelancer. So there's there's a lot of fear out there at the moment that's being propagated around across the social networks. But um, before we get into juicy details and and I guess shed some light on the future of work and how it actually can be a bit more of a brighter future than than what's being portrayed, what does the future of work mean for you? Do you want to start, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. More than happy to. So look, I think it really comes down to it's, you know, what the impact is going to have on our daily lives, on how we interact with our teams, how we interact with our customers and how that's going to evolve what we refer to as work. So in quite a broad sense, I think that comes down to, you know, two things. So the impact of that AI is going to have and uh, Aiden, like you mentioned, obviously the, you know, automation. So I think a big thing as well that we're going to see as well. And, and for me, what I see the future of work and, you know, like you said, there's a lot of that, uh, you know, fear mongering around. I'm super excited and, and I'm pumped and, and I think it's going to really evolve what the workforce looks like and what the average job is going to look like, right? And I think where that's going to really come down to is that people are going to enjoy their jobs a, a lot more. You know, you're going yeah. to be able to work remotely so you can do the school run or you can go for your, you know, do your, your swim class in the mornings before work and, and spend more time with your family and those you love and work from places that you, you enjoy. You can share jobs with, with other people. You can outsource to, you know, those menial tasks of, you know, if, if that's something that automation can't take over. And it's just going to allow you to focus on the things you're good at, what really adds value. And, you know, you look at the stats and you look at the numbers and the AI and the automation is going to keep creating more jobs. Um, and I think it's going to create more jobs and it's going to eliminate, you know, if you are, if all you really do is, you know, work, work in a plant or, um, you know, a very kind of unskilled role, then, it might not be as as rosy because I think there are a lot of kind of positions that, that will be taken. But you know, there's one of the examples that I was um, you know keen to talk about, and 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 that's actually from my own team and how you know the future of work is, is really evolving. I mean, our CTO is on the weekends; he's actually a, a yoga teacher as well. And so we've had a few times in we're in the mornings, and um, you know, quite regularly, we might do a, a team motivation or like a lunchtime. Uh, sorry, not a team motivation. Uh, well, I hope that happens anyway. Um, but, uh, <laughs> A team meditation, you know, and, and there's, there's mornings when we've gone up into the roof and, and all done like yoga and that together. And you know what? We fire as a team after that. Everyone's focused. They loving what they're doing. And if there's a bit of automation that can take a quarter out of James's job, you know, and actually free up his time to be able to do things like that, that to me is a great success. And he's going to enjoy that. And everyone's going to see so many more benefits from that. So I think that's an example that I see as, as the future of work. But yeah, it certainly just comes down to the impact of technology and how that can help us to do more meaningful stuff. Yeah, look, I agree. I, I mean, to me, it's characterized by we're challenging the norms of historical work. And that's not a bad thing. It only becomes a bad thing because, you know, only 38% of people actually embrace change. That's why there's so much fear out there because things are changing, but that can be a great thing. You know, the concept of the job is, is changing. Like Justin said, you know, there are, you don't have to have a nine to five job or just a nine to five job. You don't have to follow the templates that have been set in the past. You know, I remember when I left school, it was, 
you finished grade 12, you just choose your uni degree, which was, was like, oh, I need to now choose the career that I'm going in for the rest of my life. You do that for the next three years after school and then you go into your career and that's where you then make your, your way. There's so much more flexibility now. You know, human beings are not one size fits all. Everyone has different desires, different ambitions, different life scenarios. Um, you know, some people have kids, some people have, you know, parents they need to look after. Like everyone needs a completely different situation. And what we're seeing is the fact that society is now embracing that and allowing people to to operate the way that they need to, you know, so we know that we need to find ways to be more efficient, you know, be more agile, be more cost effective, you know, be more collaborative. And now with this technology, that's allowing us to do that. And, you know, right from your phone, you can secure yourself a job or you can work from home or you can, you know, work on the go while you're traveling. It is fast moving, like the future work will be fast moving and there will be constant change. But that doesn't mean it's going to be scary. It just means it's different. It's different to what our parents did and what their parents did. So look, there'll be new business models. There'll be new processes. There'll be new skills that are required. There'll be new ways of working. But if you embrace that change, then you will develop a future that is is more suited to you. Yeah, I guess it's definitely the case that the the whole, I guess, marketplace and industry is really changing. And every, you know, every decade that the rate of change, or every year really, but the rate of change increases. So I guess now we're seeing a situation where a generation above or, you know, two generations above is drastically different to the workforce that's coming through. You know, your Gen Ys, your Gen Zs, your millennials coming through the marketplace are sort of demanding roles that are more suited to where they are at their stage in life. So I, I guess I can see from what you're both talking about, instead of an individual conforming to a job, it's almost like the job will conform to the individual to match where they are in, in certain stages of life. Does that sound yeah. sort of right to you guys? Yeah, well, that's right. And that people can choose to go down a path that suits their way of life because there are more options. You know, and, and some people get scared when they get more options. They get, you know, decision paralysis. Everything is now, you know, it's becoming easier. You know, if you look at Justin's platform and my platform, it's much easier to find people and to, for, for talent mobility. And that's just two examples. You know, everything is becoming easier to choose the way that suits you best. Yeah, it's very true. And, uh, you know, the, the younger people coming through, that's, you know, that that's what they demand, right? They, they want to be doing meaningful work. They want to feel that they can, uh, you know, resonate with the, the vision, of, vision of an organization that they're a part of as well. But, you know, they can, you know, they can, they can pick and choose. They know what their strengths are much more than us, you know, the, the older generations that are out there. And, you know, with this comes that, that nature of collaboration, right? And I think there's still a lot of work and a lot of training for, you know, business leaders and us to be able to do at the same time. You know, when you have two team members who can say, you know what, I'm not that good at that one task, but you're pretty good at that. And this is what I'm good at and, and I can help you there. And, and they can collaborate and, and they can share roles and they can do that and, and, you know, work together for the common good. Then that's how organizations are going to, you know, lead as opposed to those that are going to, you know, fall by the wayside. Yeah. yeah. In regards to automation taking our jobs and all that, I'll, I'll just give you one anecdote. Uh, and this is how I've characterized, you know, how I see the automation and how it's going to affect us. And this was from my COO. My tech team said when we were completing the automation on our platform, they were saying, look, this is, we're automating you. You know, how are you going to feel when this platform does pretty much all of your job? And her response was perfect. I'll never forget it. She said, well, I've spent the last 20 years 
training myself to think like a machine so I could be efficient enough to do my job. Hmm. And now you guys have built a machine that does my job. I'm now going to spend the rest of my career learning how to work like a human. And like she just said it offhandedly, but I thought it was pretty profound. You know, we do. We spend all this time trying to be so efficient and so process driven like machines. And if machines take that over, okay, what do we do now? We can focus on being human and, and doing all of that creative human type stuff that we've been neglecting for decades. I was going to ask, what does working like a human look like? Well, that's the question, right? That's the question that we all have to, to come to terms with. But you know, like if you look in your daily work, what, what are the things like relationship development, client support, strategic and complex thinking? There's a multitude of things that we do better as humans, engaging, stakeholder engagement, communication, Empathy, trust, vision. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things that make business work, you know, but we've just had to do those on the side when we had time. Now we can actually focus on that. Like business is historically a relationship-driven entity. So now we can focus on those relationships and we can improve that and make business better and more enjoyable and more personable, which is, I think, what we're all craving. Exactly. That's where that enjoyment will come from as well. Like if you look at, you know, 10 years ago or, uh, you know, probably a little bit longer than that before you could go and look at Google reviews or get those kind of insights online, you know, the role, you know, where buyers could, can actually now inform themselves before make a, making a purchasing decision. You used to have a salesman and their job was just to sit there and bang out 50 cold calls per day. And, you know, no, there's no joy in that being on either side of that, that phone call, right? But what's the role now of a salesman? How is that going to evolve? You know, as, uh, as that automation and all the data and all the accuracy around the kind of products is available online, you know, people will go on, they'll do their own research and they'll find something. And once they do that, they'll then evolve someone in that traditional sales role who will help them. They will use them because they have the empathy. They have the trust. They can, you know, provide creativity to help them, um, you know, nurture them through that kind of buying process. And those are the aspects that both the buyer and, and that business and, and that salesperson is, is going to really enjoy due to, you know, automation and data taking the ugly part away from it. And I guess it's, I guess it's no different to when computers came on the market and how that transformed the whole marketplace and industry, how, you know, People thought they were going to lose their jobs because the computer was going to be able to automate things. So I guess this is just the next iteration in, I guess, humans becoming more human and developing that trust. And like you said, developing the empathy and having that real deep connection with, with people, connecting people with people, which humans yeah. are the best. Well, actually, I was talking to someone about this the other day. And what, what you see is if there's some form of technology that's going to make your personal life better, then everyone's excited about it. You know, when the iPhone came out, everyone was excited. They weren't fearful of the fact that they no longer have to, you know, use the, the round dial phones. If, I mean, if you're old enough to remember those, you know, it was, it was more like, Oh, look at all the things that I can do personally now. But then if you go into work and they say, we're going to implement this new technology, which is going to help you do your job, people freak out. Oh my God, everything's changing. I don't have the processes to follow. Like, so why is it the technology that affects us personally is so exciting, yet technology that improves our business is so terrifying. I still haven't worked that out. What do you think business owners can do to, I guess, soften the blow or to communicate change more effectively to their employees? It needs to be a well-planned strategy. Um, and we had this uh, experience where, where a, a company tried to implement it. They used authoritative tactics like, this is happening. You're going to do it whether you like it or not. It's going to improve your life. And they had constant fighting and feedback, you know, people saying we're not doing it. Whereas if you 
take them on the journey and you use change management and communicate exactly the benefits and, and take them along with you on that journey of why you went to that point and why you're making that business decision, then people will follow you. Yeah, exactly. And, and having that kind of that clear vision around what the actual goal is. So if you, if you think of like an, an HR consultant, right, and uh, working in, internally for a, for a large organization, their goal is to attract and retain great talent. You know, if there's now amazing kind of software and automation that helps them be able to hire people a lot easier, they shouldn't be fearful that, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job because, um, you know, these machines are be able to recruit people, which is, you know, something that it used to take me months to be able to do. Suddenly they have a lot more time on their hands that they can then go and spend time with the employees in that organization and, and working with them and, 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 you know, building a better workplace for them so that they can retain that talent. And at the end of the day, that's how the organization is going to benefit. So, you know, looking at those bits of software and, uh, and technology and seeing that as, you know, that's part of you. You have the ability to utilize that um, and not be fearful of it. And that's going to help your job and, and the organization get there faster. Actually, Justin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off, Aiden. That's right. I, just, I have a point that I really want Justin's opinion on because I was talking about this with someone the other day and they said, particularly in recruitment in the past when it was all manual and it did take months to fill a position, you know, it was almost like recruiters were just order takers. You know, they'd be given an order, fill this position and then they would go out and they would find that position and, and put them in. Whereas now with the technology and the different the different talent pools that they have and the, the technology that speeds up the matches, they can now take a much more involved, I guess, approach to it and work out, okay, well, let's not just fill an order. What's the best way to fill this? You know, do we fill this with a permanent? Do we fill it with a contractor? Do we fill it with a gig? Do we look at alternate workforces? You know, how do I make sure that they've got the best cultural fit? Like all these additional things that they didn't have time for before, they can now become an enhancer of the recruitment industry rather than just filling a job. Exactly. And that's why those roles have evolved and, and they now become organizational development consultants within organize, you know, within the company and, you know, leadership coaches and that as opposed to where they would, they're just traditionally putting an ad on seat, doing some short listing, you know, doing 20 telephone interviews and then sending the top three candidates through to, to the hiring manager, right? That can be automated and they can add so much more value. And, you know, that, that creativity and, and, uh, you know, I think you did a great job of, of listing that there, Tim, you know, that collaboration of working with different parts of the business to understand who they need, what type of roles they need, and adding value there instead. And and that's the future of work as it evolves. Yeah, I can see, I can definitely see people becoming more specialized and going deeper into their sort of area of expertise to find, you know, what role and responsibilities best suit their natural skill sets. And a lot of people sort of going all in on on that angle basically instead of being a generalist. I can definitely see people in the future or even now really starting to take more specialized roles. So that you've got, I can imagine a workforce where you might be called the same thing, but you've got these, you know, differing, differing levels of expertise when, and what you can offer because you've got the time to, to go deep and you don't have to worry about all this transactional, transactional work that can be automated or, um, or definitely have a lot, lot of load for you. Absolutely. And then what happens is an individual, they find their niche, they find their speciality. And then they realize, actually, you know what? I'm actually pretty damn good at this. They end up leaving an organization that can go out on their own, work from Bali, work from wherever they want and be able to freelance and be able to offer that specific bit of bit of clarity and a bit of knowledge that they've been able to hone in on 
to multiple, you know, organizations at any one time as well. And more people get to benefit from, from what they know. And actually yeah. we're seeing that, we're seeing that not only for the individual, I'm actually, because I'm in a business to business, you know, environment, we're seeing that same trend for businesses where businesses can now use platforms to win the work that they need. So they don't need to be, you know, out, you know, hitting the pavement and, you know, constantly out talking to people. They can focus in and create a small business that is focused on a niche. They can develop a truly niche capability because they know that in the downtimes, they'll be able to win the work that they need to keep themselves going. And they don't need to be a generalist just to win any contract that comes through the door. They can be a specialist project management firm or a systems engineering firm or a logistics firm or software development firm, whatever it is. They can say, this is our segment and we're going to focus in on this and all of our personal effort will be on building that niche. And then when, you know, times are tough or the work's not coming in, we will get thrown through these platforms, these contracts that we can put our people on to keep ourselves afloat while we wait for the next contract that suits our niche. It is happening on all levels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. I can, I guess what happens at the individual level can then, you know, scale up and definitely, um, like you said, you can definitely have these specialized businesses that just focus on doing one thing, but doing it exceptionally well and you can just imagine the, the multiplier effect then that that's going to happen on the economy as you've got these specialist individuals working their specialist firms delivering a specific result not having to worry about doing things that they're not great at but being able to do things that they're exceptional at you can just imagine the, the multiplier effect not only in australia but throughout the world as well when you can win work overseas and you're not not limited by geographic limitations yeah 100 percent yeah. It's about, it's about like being interconnected. You asked that question before, like, why is the network so important? The network is so important because you now have a much larger market to put your niche capability into and to meet other people's very specific demands. Um, whereas before it was only limited to who was in your geographical region or who was in your local network. Um, which meant that you had to take whatever work you needed to. Why else should um, small businesses be excited about the future of work? Obviously, the you know specializing in a niche and being able to deliver something at a high quality is is important. What are some other things that are that like a small business owner should be excited about? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I can you know give first hand experience on that. Just with you know you know for example, like the users on on Talentvine, you've got these very small like there's a we've got a, a one man band recruitment agency that's just placed. Know, a couple of uh, you know defense engineers for a massive organization he would have never had the opportunity to be able to work with someone like that but you know he's, he's done great work elsewhere with placing similar roles and he was able to show that data through the platform and win that so with the growth of, of the platforms especially the the kind of network marketplaces out there it's given them a lot more opportunity to win their work you know it could be um, it could be a stay-at-home mom who just does uh, wants to do some uh, you know it could be um, you know accounting or bookkeeping or hairdressing on the side and there's platforms like Airtasker and that that they can then utilize and be able to kind of find and win more work a lot easier as well. But I think one of the most exciting things for small business owners is I think it's going to be a rise of, you know, like the David versus Goliath. You know, and monopolies aside and, and the, the Googles and that of the world, you know, ignoring those ones. But otherwise, small guys can now take on, you know, the big guys a lot easier. It's, uh, you know, from hosting and operation costs and that are a lot um, lower. So, you know, they can stay lean. They can scale a lot faster. You've got anyone out there has got um, access to so much information online, whether it's, you know, through Linda or YouTube or anything like that as well. So they can learn. A lot quicker. They can. There's online tutorials and everything, so you can upskill a lot faster 
without having to go and you know engage with Deloitte on a you know on a six figure you know consulting project. There's people that can get up to up to speed on what's required a lot faster and be able to do so from anywhere in the world. And that's what something that the the small the small guys are going to be able to do. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited and. It's part of our vision is something that we we love at our businesses that we're the catalyst for that as well. Yeah, you're right. Anyone who's actually uh, worked with an enterprise will know that they move at a glacial pace. Mm. Small businesses are agile. They make decisions fast. Like you can talk directly to the managing director. They can make a decision and go, we're doing that. You know, mm. whereas the bureaucracy that surrounds these huge corporations slows them down to a point where they're they really only suit these large mega programs from from government and things like that. And and you're right in the sense that the, the I love the David and Goliath uh, comment you made because uh, I mean we see that with Benchon, you know, because Benchon allows companies to win work based off the quality of their people, not the size of their PR machine or the size of their sales department or you know anything else. It links directly to well, do you have the best person at the best price for the job? which means small businesses are competing on the same level as these large companies. And so they can they can carve out their own space in the market and not worry about being left behind and crushed by these large organizations. Do you think the, the bureaucracy in, in large enterprises or large organizations will need to become more agile? Do you see the enterprises having to adopt, a, I guess, a quicker methodology to embrace what the future of work is going to give them? They can't. I mean, you look at, you look at the stuff going on in the news about Facebook and Google. I mean, they have massive reputations that any one small decision or any one misstep has global impacts, you know, that they, they splash across the news because people are interested in how these corporations do things. So they have to be very, very specific about how they act. Whereas small businesses still got the, you know, anonymity almost where they can they can make mistakes. They can, they can be agile. They can fail and then just go, okay, well, that failed. Let's move on to something else and they can quickly recover. Whereas let's say a big four bank turns around and goes, right, we're going all in on this. And then in a month it fails. Like that's a massive PR nightmare in the media. They have to have these steps in place. So what I think it'll see is we'll, everyone will just sort of, it'll drift. You know, there'll be certain criteria that require a large enterprise with their corporate governance. And then there will be others where people want agility and they want fast thinking and they want fast responses. And that's where the small to medium businesses will come through. And I think, um, and, and they do, they, they realize that they are, you know, so tied up with, with the bureaucracy and, and that they move so slow. So you do see a lot of, um, corporates now do have you know, innovation hubs. And, um, you know, for example, like I remember a few corporates used to have teams that, you know, go and used to go and spend a month working in places like Revisity Labs. You know, just learning to be a lot more agile and um, and you know feeding off the the kind of startup feeling and you know and seeing what they can take from that kind of startup environment to actually bring back into the organization so now whether that's been received when they come back to to the big corporates and and whether they are you know embracing any any of that that new way of thinking um, is a completely different story and and not something that I have any uh, firsthand experience that, that I can comment on but they do realize that they have to change. Otherwise, yeah, they, they are going to lose and then continue to lose ground to the, the smaller, faster, agile players that are out there. What I have seen work well, because, I mean, with corporates, they're innovation hubs. Some of them can just be, you know, 
they're useless. You know, they're just there so the company can say, well, we've got an innovation department because they're not enabling them. Um, but what I have seen starting to come about is corporates using a sandbox theory where they can, they can put something into an enclosed area that has limited potential to, to damage the brand and they can test it out fast. And then if it works, then implement it at a higher level. And I've seen that work quite well. And so the companies that are actually employing that tactic is, is working. But, you know, we've, we've all heard the horror stories of, you know, people going through corporate innovation. And then at the end of it, they go, yep, great. I like your ideas. I'm going to merge all those three in because that fits best in our current process. And I mean, innovation is change. Innovation is changing your current process, you know, and that, that hurts and it takes effort. But at the same time, it's necessary. Yeah, it's almost like you need two processes, one for sort of business as usual and, and another one with the different sort of um, gatekeepers for your more innovative projects. Yeah. On that note, what can, what can business owners do now to prepare them themselves and their employees for the future of work? One of the, the key trends of the future of work, and this is undeniable, is we need to develop a culture of lifelong learning. You know, people need to realize that it's not about you do a degree and then that's it and you're good for the rest of your career and the rest of it will be on the job training. You need constant learning. And that shouldn't be seen as a burden. It should be seen as uh, adding more feathers to your bow or strings to your bow or whatever, whatever that was. We need to move to a skills-based industry, you know, where people aren't seen by their job title. They're seen by the amalgamation of all of their skills. Uh, and the only way to do that is, you know, there's a number of requirements there. Uh, there is a requirement for the government and industry bodies to start doing some analysis on how skills are changing and what's required. And that needs to be communicated to the public. And that hasn't happened yet. Um, actually, I saw uh, Anthony Albanese in the news this morning saying that that's exactly what he wants to do. And he wants to set up a, uh, a hub for the future future work that focuses on what are the skills that we're going to need and how do we communicate that to the, the public. So that was a good step. But businesses, and I heard this the other day where uh, a good idea is for businesses to have learning periods built into the weekly schedule. So it's not once a year you take a week off and you go do a course and that's your learning for the year. Once a week, people are given two or three hours to continually learn and improve themselves, either through short courses, self-learning, through a scheduled, you know, some sort of do-it-in-your-own-time type of university degree or something like that. But everyone needs to get used to the fact that we cannot stop learning because if you do, you'll get left behind. Things are changing so fast. Mm. So my suggestion is for business owners that, that what they need to be doing is embracing that learning culture putting it into their business. And you don't even need to set like structured learning. You allow employees to go where their interests are and to learn what, what, you know, what they're good at and what they enjoy and allow them to drive that and then take the benefit of their passion and implement it in your business where appropriate. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and, you know, thinking of, you know, what, what business owners can do to, to embrace this. I think if you think of the analogy, I think of if you've got a, a dam with a few kind of, and it's starting to flood, a river starting to flood and, uh, you know, you're, you're there panicking and trying to plug all these kind of holes in and everything starts to kind of flood. You got to accept the fact that change is coming, right? And, and innovation is bringing this and, and looking at it in a positive way. So realizing you've just got to, you know, almost 
push down the damn walls and just go with the flow and realize that's happening. And there's a lot of learning that business owners need to do. And I, and I need to do that myself as well, right? It's realizing, you know, with the, the future of work, you're going to have remote teams. You're going to have teams who are going to want to leave the office at three o'clock. And, you know, and, and I, it's taken me some, some practice as well. I've sat there and, you know, won the team packing up and, and leaving at, you know, three o'clock. And, you know, at first I'd be like, what the hell? This is ridiculous. You know, our, our day finishes at 5.30. But then, you know, you, you realize that, no, this is how things are, are now changing. And they go home and they spend time with their family and, and their kids and they're back online and, uh, you know, they're, they're doing some very productive work between 8 and 10 o'clock at night. And this is just how things are changing. So I think we need to be open to that. We need to be trusting of our um, employees, giving them the opportunities, the opportunities to learn. Like Tim said, um, when you look at millennials, what is the most important things that they're looking for their jobs in this day and age? And it's learning and development and the ability for them to, you know, be able to to progress in, in their own skill sets as well. So giving the people those opportunities and trusting them that that they're going to, um, you know, to, to do what's uh, expected of them as well. Tim, Justin, thank you for those yeah. uh, those really, really important steps and tips for business owners, what they can be doing now. I love your focus on or the emphasis really on on learning and development being not just a, a once-off or every quarter, but inbuilt into how businesses operated into businesses as usual and sort of building that momentum and, and skilling up employees, but giving employees also the the free reign to to invest in skill sets that they have a passionate interest in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I recommend any of your listeners look up Deloitte's Human Capital Trends Report 2019. Um, it does talk about what trends are coming in the future of work and learning is number one. You know, number two is the employee experience. That takes into account employees wanting fulfilling work as well as, you know, the recruitment right through to the end. You know, talent mobility, leadership, like it goes through all of the, the current trends and, and it sort of follows exactly what uh, Justin and, I, and I've been saying. Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll include a, a link to that in the in the show notes so people who are listening can check that report out in full and um, get yeah, the lowdown on what's going to happen uh, in the future or, you know, in the um, in the coming years. Yeah, perfect. Justin, Tim, okay. um, thanks again for um, for coming on, on part one of the series. I'm excited to bring you both back on in part three where we're going to have a, a roundtable discussion and sort of have a, have a free-for-all chat on, on where it's all going. But look, thanks for being part of part one. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, I very much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, love what you're doing as well. So keep it up. Uh, yeah, me too. And uh, I can't wait for part three. It's going to be awesome. All different platforms on the one podcast trying to speak over each other. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun for sure. It's going to be, um, be, be, be sure to listen out to that one. It's, it's, um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really, really, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to go deep and, um, and embrace where, where it's all going. But look, thanks again and talk to you both soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories Behind the Grind. Please share the podcast. And if you're not already subscribed, be sure to do that right now. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a quick favor and rate and review the podcast. This lets the platform know that I'm doing something right and people like the content. It'd be a huge help and I'd be really, really grateful if you could. Until next time.